0: Hi, and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world.
1: Welcome to the Insider Sales and Marketing Podcast. I'm Simon Hazeldean. I'm a sales transformation strategist and sales performance consultant, helping my clients get more sales more often with more margin. I'm also a keynote speaker and author of several books on sales and negotiation. I'm your host, along with my co host, the one and only Richard Lane, who is co founder of Durham Lane, who are an inside sales partner that helps businesses grow their revenue through an integrated sales and marketing methodology. So, Richard, Great to be back in the Insiders studio with you and our guest, which would be wonderful if you could introduce them to our listeners, please.
0: Yeah. Hi, Simon. Great to be back, as you say. Well, I'm thrilled to introduce today's guest. We've got Neil Ritchie. Welcome to the podcast, Neil. Neil is head of global marketing and sales at Motion Services at ABB, an absolutely huge enterprise organization. And really looking forward to hearing Neil's view of the world from inside that sort of a company and how it relates to sales and how we do what we do. So, Neil, welcome.
2: Yeah, thanks, Richard. Thanks, Simon. Pleased to be here.
0: Wonderful. So Neil, what we normally
1: ask our guests to do is just provide a little bit of background so that the folks listening in can get to know you a little bit. So if you can give us a little bit about your background and how you came to be in uh, the role you're in currently, that would be wonderful.
2: Yeah, um, I've worked for AVB for, uh, I think it's 33 years now in various roles. Uh, Prior to that, I used to work for, it used to be British Steel, but Tata Steel for 11 years So I've been the customer as well as the supplier in these kind of arrangements. And my career in ABB has traveled through mainly in parallel uh, of the sales function and the service function almost through my entire career. And Uh, In the last few years, uh, looking after the division for um, what's now Motion in the UK and Ireland, uh, which included robotics and included uh, EV charging, as well as the motors and drives. Uh, And right now, Motion, uh, which is motors, drives and our digital uh, solutions, has evolved into seven divisions, and one of which is uh, the service division, which I'm heading up for the marketing and sales function.
1: Wonderful, thank you. was given a good uh, insight. And also, I think it's very interesting if you've worked what we might describe as both sides of the buying table, right? As a customer and supplier, I think that's quite a useful thing for say, marketing and sales professionals to get some experience of. So uh, great, you've done that. And I've been doing a little bit of snooping around. Um, I was I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I was I noticed that you put this comment there that you said, I bring strategy to life and, and execution is everything. i would be fascinated to know a little bit about that. Because I know that the actual execution of a sales and or marketing strategy is often not quite what it doesn't quite achieve the results people would like, you know, get making it happen is is the real tough, real, real tough stuff. So I'd be really interested how, you know, you approach that in terms of successful execution.
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I'm quite a simple person in actual fact. So, you know, I take that into the role and I take it into the business um, and I've generally followed three. Kind of principles, if you like, that have served me well and uh, led to some success, certainly around strategy and implementing initiatives. The first one is get the right people. And I think that might sound simple, and it is, but I think you do have to pay real attention to getting the right people. I mean, today, in today's society, you know, people come to interviews and they interview the company as much as we interview the person. So it's got to be a person that can do the job uh, but also fit the organisation. They've got to be happy in that environment. So finding the right people, number one. Number two is then getting those people to do the right things, making sure that there's a role that creates impact and can deliver, and the say-do ratio is high. So the people have to be doing the right things, either roles or the tasks or the uh, communities that they're working in. They have to do the right things. And then the final point is keep it simple. And uh, again, that it's dead easy in a large organisation to complicate. Uh, but you know, I think that part of my role is to try and make sense from complications and complex situations, and and really uh, keeping it simple is important. I mean, an ex- example in the strategy we've we've got energy efficiency high on the agenda, and we take a very uh, pragmatic approach, looking at it from the customer's perspective. So you know, take the right decisions. Mitigate risks and implement change. That's the process that seems very simple again, but there's obviously products that we've developed behind that, services that we've developed behind that, the process of how we engage with customers to understand what their needs are. But again, a simple process and trying to keep it so that uh, in a global organization, the different people with different language skills and different cultures Uh, equally with customers uh it does make a difference
1: yeah it's very interesting i used to have a a ceo where i used to work when i had a proper job and he was he always would go on and on about we need to simplify this we need to simplify this you know and this was almost his mantra and it is it's more of a challenge isn't it than people think you know complex is easier than simple sounds crazy but it's, it's 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 you know
2: yeah i i remember you know It's strange. There's not that much I remember from school. But one thing I do remember from school is being the kid in the class that were a little bit hesitant to ask the stupid questions. But when I became a professional, I realized that asking the stupid questions became a really powerful part of my role. And I realized that there were other people in the room that probably were hesitant to asking those stupid questions, but did want to know the answers. So I think you know, this kind of uh, you know, asking a simple question might not necessarily get a simple answer, but certainly drives towards that yeah. objective.
1: It's the uh, the quote unquote simple question, and then there is total silence, isn't there, in the room <laughs> while everybody goes, "Oh, well, that's a good question, right?" So it's, yeah. Uh, and, and Richard, from a Durham Lane perspective, what, what's your what's your perspective on actually getting a sales or marketing strategy to to kind of come to life if you like when it hits the streets
0: yeah i'm, I'm still sitting here listening to you guys and, and sort of thinking of the philosophical complexity is easier than simple <laughs> you know we could talk all day on that i think can we but our job really is to is to simplify our job with our customers is to take their products and services typically into not always but typically into new markets simple resonates complex doesn't so it's absolutely fundamental that when we're building our go to market plans, when we're taking our customers through onboarding, we keep it simple. And I think we've practiced that and we, we preach it and we practice that. And I believe that's that's true today. I think the 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 key to any any message is is making it accessible. And we have to be able to do that, not just for our customers, but also for our sales execs that are taking the message to the market, then we need to draw out of our customers uh, their message and then simplify it so that we can then take that forward so it's it's a complex process to get started we've we've learned that onboarding well is what makes the difference and so we put a huge amount of time and effort into that process uh, and it really pays back dividends
1: yeah i think uh, uh, having having a very very good onboarding process is a you know has to be a priority i think for organizations it's often done quite badly and then the Takes the person ages to get up to some sort of you know required level of performance. <clears throat> and Neil, you're you mentioning obviously ABB, big big global organisation. How do you approach business development?
2: Yeah, uh, we um, and I'm just speaking on behalf of uh, the di- the division uh, that I operate in, but it does it does reflect most of ABB's principles. I think in that um, we drive the strategy and the direction globally um so we would develop the products and the services and the uh the support infrastructure and the tools etc um but actually we really act locally and we really do the business with the customers locally uh and the reason for that is that we want to be as close to the customer as possible so we can listen and learn and we can be agile in developing a solution or delivering a response. Um, So being close to the customer is really important to us and we wouldn't pretend in a global organisation, global role, that uh, we know what every customer wants in every single country. Um, And it comes back to the value proposition. Um, You know, what one customer will value might be different to another. So being close to the customers locally is really important in terms of the business development. And then, of course, uh, what we have to do is we have to make sure that we join those two Pieces together. We have to make sure that the global supports the local business, the local business follows the global strategy, and the marketing and sales function and, and communications is a, a key part of the glue. In fact, the glue that brings that together and makes sure that we the go-to-market activities are done in a, a, a consistent and a, uh, an harmonious way.
1: As far I think, the whole concept of you know value selling and value propositions. You know, if you, if you find out what the customer values and show them that, then they'll often pay for it with a higher price, as it was described to me one time. And if you, if you talk about value in your terms, somebody said to me one time, you pay for it with a big discount. So you have to, you have to find the discount. So, so it's an interesting, interesting perspective in what does the customer define as value, not what we think it is as, as sales or marketing professionals.
2: Value is an important topic that's, I think, often misunderstood. I think that people talk about features, they talk about benefits, they talk about these kind of things when we talk about value. But value is different to different people. You know, what you value and what I value might be different. Um, even on the same product, you might value features more than I do, et cetera. And I think that it's a topic that I am really fascinated with because it brings the psychology of sales into the equation as well. In, you know, asking the right questions and understanding what the challenges are of the customers. Uh, And I think only when you understand the challenge of the customer and their uh, desires can you then understand what the value is that you can offer.
1: It occurs, Neil, all the time when we're interviewing all these great guests that we have on the Insiders around the customer centricity, the customer understanding, and it has to be like a philosophy, doesn't it, in an, in the organisation, not like a tactical kind of thing. You you've either got to do it, or it just doesn't work for you.
0: Neil, could I could I just bring us back to that global and local piece? I was really interested in that because I think you articulated really nicely the the natural friction that exists. You have you know a global product and services creation, but then you've got a very local, customer-driven experience. What happens when the global products and services that you've been created don't fit your local customer base?
2: Yeah, very. it's a great question, and and it does exist. You know, we talk, we use the word localization quite a lot in our business, that we try to develop uh, solutions and services and, and tools that allow for localization. An example is that we don't set uh, the... Uh, if you look at the labor we're not we globally are not hiring the local people uh, but we do define what kind of training programs we expect a local service engineer or a local sales manager to have so we we're setting a framework for the local business to operate within but it's really important that we give them enough trust and flexibility to work within that so uh, there is there's obvious tensions but i think um, you know we, we we consider that the way we operate is almost omnichannel where we're interested in end users because that's where the installed base is and that's what we want to service. So we use multiple channels to service and target that customer. That can create tensions as well. But I think it's all about managing it. I think that sometimes tension's good. It challenges, it raises questions that if everybody agrees might not be raised. So we don't try to destroy the world of kind of conflict. But what we try to do is give enough flexibility and trust to work in it and also give a platform for people to raise their hand if they think that there's, um, you know, there's some serious issue that we need to address.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's always there's always going to be a degree of tension in any organisation and team, but if it's positively focused, then that can be a a good thing. And you mentioned we were having a a conversation before we came on air to to record this episode, and you mentioned that you have a great passion for coaching. What do you think is important when you're coaching marketing and sales professionals, which is kind of what our listeners would would be uh, managing or coaching?
2: Yeah, I, I I actually don't think there's that much difference whether you're coaching a sales professional or a marketing professional or a general manager or a, um, you know, a service engineer or whatever, I think uh, it's about the individual. And I think think coaching for me is about getting the people to get the best from themselves Um, and not for me uh, to kind of tell them what to do or to... Uh, be an advisor even, although that can be part of the coaching process. So I think that, you know, I think we want to inspire and motivate people through coaching. So it's about trying to get them to be the best they can be and uh, and develop solutions for themselves. So it's, it's spending time, giving advice around the topic, but not necessarily the answer, being a sounding board for ideas and thoughts, building confidence, Um, building high-performing teams as well. It's part of the coaching in my mind that, you know, others learn from each other. I think that's why diversity is important. You know, I think coaching can't be, uh, it's got to be recognized as part of a manager's role, whether it's a sales manager or or whatever. I think it's really important to impart some of that learning. Uh, An interesting topic. I've been Interviewing a lot of people recently, and we've talked about the question of what mistakes have you made and 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 what successes have you had, and it's quite interesting. Almost all the mistakes examples that are given are early in people's career. Almost all the successes that people <laughs> give are later in people's career. You know, if I were a scientist, I could argue that there is a correlation between learning from your mistakes, um, <laughs> but definitely. The whole topic of experience comes with, uh, you know, learning and coaching is part of that.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating, uh, always a fascinating topic. Absolute passion of mine, Richard. I know you. You make extensive use of coaching, don't you, for your for your teams? It'd be great just to get your perspective on on that.
0: Yeah, we, we uh, really early on in the life of Durham Lane, we embedded the 70-20-10 learning model into our business. That's all around how do you harness sort of informal learning. Um, very coaching centric. So 70, 20, 10 for those not initiated means that 10% of what we learn is through formal education, it might be a course or, or reading a book, 20% through structured coaching. So we have we have structured coaching for every single one of our 115 employees. Uh, everybody has a, a structured coaching program that they take part in. And then 70% where the uh, rubber hits the road is, is when you're learning doing the job uh that's being supported in role. You know, that that's been challenging over the last few years. We've had some exciting challenges to to overcome from this whole hybrid work that we've moved to. You know, we went overnight to a a virtual place where we still have to provide the coaching. So, you know, we've enabled technologies to help us do that, etc. But at the end of the day, everyone has to believe in it, everyone has to see the value in it. Mm-hmm. And once they become part of it, I like to think that happens. So it sort of becomes self-fulfilling. As a sort of philosophy and a a way that we operate, and and the seventy twenty ten has, I think, really worked for us in that regard. I mean, now when you know when you mentioned part of a manager's job, I mean, I was
1: just I realised how fortunate I was to end up working for a FMCG organisation where you were coached extensively as a salesperson when i became a sales manager i was trained to coach and, and you were supposed to be out there coaching four days and as i moved onwards and upwards i realized how lucky i was at a very early stage to be absolutely you know immersed in coaching as a concept both as a coachee and as a coach and uh it's it's always interesting working with lots of different organizations to see where they get it and maybe where it's not quite as understood in because it is such a powerful way the, the 70 20 10, a great framework but uh, it's uh, definitely the the manager as the coach i think is the is the key is the key point and, and you mentioned diversity and also you, you know pre-conversation you also said you're a you know a believer in diversity in practice so what are you doing at abb to drive and encourage diversity
2: yeah i mean as as a business we we 've always uh, embraced diversity when you look at it from a kind of cultural uh, perspective because we um, you know we 're a global organization we operate in you know one hundred countries as a as a b b as a business you know in my business we operate directly in sixty five uh, the management teams and the, and the teams that we work with are from different backgrounds, different, uh, you know, ethnic backgrounds and countries. And so, so from that aspect, it's been uh, really strong and it's been part of the, the fun of working within the, the company to meet these people. And um, more recently, I think in the last X number of years, you know, that diversity topic has expanded when you, when you get into things like LGBT plus and things like that, there's, in, there's campaigns and initiatives and, you know, embracing diversity as part of the whole principles and values of ABB embedded in what we want. Uh, but there's also some initiatives around gender diversity. So we have formal, uh, you know, uh, female uh, mentoring programs. Uh, we've set targets to try and promote uh, gender diversity in, in the organization. And, and I think that diversity, in fact, not think, I know that diversity is a topic that adds value. You've got to manage it in the right way. People, you know, people don't want to be appointed into roles because they're a woman or uh, because they, they come from this background. No, nobody wants that. And I remember I didn't, I, I didn't really fully understand this topic fully So we invited a lady to discuss why we're not attracting enough female talent into the business. And the first question she asked is, why do you want more women in the business? And my answer, which I weren't that prepared for, but my answer was, well, the objective's not to get more women into the business, in my mind, the objective is to get more talent into the business. And we're missing a pool of talent by not attracting the right people, uh, whether it's because the working arrangements, whether it's because the uh, work-life balance, whether it's because the flexibility of hours, all these kind of things mean different things to different people. But we would not really taken that too much into account in the job applications. It were very orientated to kind of a fixed scope. But I, I can certainly speak from experience that my management. Team is diverse, and it's definitely better off for it. There's definitely different views, different angles, things that you wouldn't have thought of. So, you know, I'm really passionate about the topic of diversity, and uh, and I'm a believer that it does add value into a business and and drives results.
1: Yes, that you know, and then you like you say, you get a you get a diversity of perspective, don't you? And you know, uh, blind spots that are are uncovered that you you just absolutely weren't weren't aware of you know it's quite it is uh, an absolutely you know fascinating uh topic um and in our, our pre-interview as well we also discussed your your passion for customer service and the concept of you know going the extra mile and that sort of description probably is hanging on Ten thousand office walls in different companies around the world, or in reception, or something. How, ABB, how do you make that become a reality for customers rather than just a nice aspiration?
2: Yeah, I, I think I, I think it's about wowing customers. You know, I think that you know sat- everybody wants to satisfy customers and, and generally do, but I think we we want to wow customers, and and it starts with the people. You know, I, I genuinely believe that people should take it personally. You know, I believe should people should see it as a personal attribute to be able to satisfy the customers that we're working for. Um, and then it comes to the having the right people in the organization with the right attitudes, the right focus, and getting everybody lined up to it. Um, so it starts with the people. But of course, then you have to have the right processes. You want consistency, you want traceability, you want speed, um, and uh, and you've got to put that around it to make it work effectively. Uh, but, you know, customer satisfaction for me is firstly about closing gaps. And to do that, you've got to listen to the customer. You've got to understand what they feel is, is missing uh, or what they want more of. Uh, and then it's about, uh, you know, identifying what those gaps are and closing them proactively and doing something about it. So um, that is, again, it's a simple formula, but, you know, it starts with the people and, uh, and I think quite often we, uh, when we get some complaints, everybody does, but when we get complaints quite often, we, uh, well, we're not actually complaining about this person, but so, you know, genuinely the relationships and the people make a difference.
1: Yeah, it's great. to it's interesting... I uh, had a had a boss previously who would, who was very fond of saying that management was about opening and closing gaps, which was always a great. So he said, if you find one, you need to close it, and then when you've done that, you need to open it again at a higher level, and then close it. And I thought it just this whole gap concept was an interesting interesting philosophy. Richard, your your perspective from from Durham Lane in terms of you know wowing customers and what's needed to do that today
0: yeah so i love and totally adhere to neil's phrase people should take it personally they damn well should you know that that is is really key we talk about the three p's at durham lane neil we talk about people process and partnership and i think that speaks to what you've just spoken about from an abb point of view as well you have to have people that care you have to have ambitious people that really want to make it happen and and care about the outcome They need to be supported by the right processes because I think if you have people that really want to make it happen and care but don't have the right processes around them, they get frustrated and then probably stop caring as much. So, you know, you've got to have those two synced together and then ultimately begin with the end in mind. We want to build long-term partnerships with our customers and when that's your mindset, then you understand that sometimes you need to dig in deep to create the long-term, achieve the long-term objective. I love the, the approach of, you know, the personal, you got to take it
1: personally you know I used to work in the beer industry and uh, one of the Heineken family Freddie Heineken famously said I think it was Freddie Heineken one time i i view a bad bottle of heineken as a personal insult <laughs> i love that <laughs> that's just a great a great philosophy for, for the guy to have so Probably drove him uh,
0: insane but a good philosophy to have all the, all the same yeah,
1: yeah yeah i was gonna say yeah yeah that's, that's, that's quite a high bar to aspire to isn't it you know like something's gonna go wrong yeah. sometimes but uh, oh my goodness you know being on the receiving end of that and that would be interesting all industries are undergoing change at the moment Neil, and um, be really interesting it's always a, a fascinating topic for for us to ask our guests about uh, because people are so interested what do you think are the changes that marketing and sales will have to make in the future this is sort of the crystal ball moment
2: i think to try to try to predict the future yeah, and I think we could do an entire podcast on this topic, if I'm honest. Um, I this And this is a bit of a pet subject of mine, because I, and this is my philosophy. So, I, you know, I'm now giving a, a kind of my vision, if you like, of how I believe sales will change, certainly in an industrial environment. I think it'll go in three directions. I think the first direction is that a salesperson will develop more into account management, uh, develop more into an executive Uh, kind of role uh, will uh, try to work with customers to help them deliver their results and be more of a consultant. That's that's the first thing. And that's the kind of people element. I think the second thing is that I think there'll be more partnerships and Richard used the P in partnership and we, we use the word putting our heads together words in know some of our strap lines um, you know let's put our heads together we don't all have the answers individually but together we can uh, but also we talked about simplification earlier and um, we know that there's complex situations just saying let's make it simple does not make it simple you've got to do stuff so bringing in uh, you know professional partners like Durham Lane, for example, um, helps us to achieve some of the goals that we couldn't achieve on our own in a modern world. And then the third element that I think will change is digitalization. And somebody said, I read an article that basically said, oh, and digitalization will take care of the rest. But I think to put that (laughs) into context, um, you know, e-commerce will mean that a lot of transactional sales won't be a a personal relationship. It means that like software license renewals, which we wouldn't be able to scale up if we tried selling it through the existing sales models... Uh, will need a different way Uh, customers want more and more self-service so they'll want more access to information to be able to make decisions without a personal involvement so uh, you know online guided selling and things like that and uh, digital marketing so you know i think that's the three directions that i see sales going in and, and what i call you know the next generation of sales so you know maybe we come back in 10 years and reflect on that
1: well it's 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 the one that the kind of stuck out for me because i for after a long period of not flying i flew through heathrow airport and uh, other than them checking your passport it's it's almost entirely self-service you know you check in online and then so our customers are used to serving themselves in all sorts of other in their private lives but yet, sometimes in their B two B relationships, they want to do some self service, but it's not it's not available for them, is it? You know, and I think that that's an interesting one for organisations to consider.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think you can see it happening in our in our personal lives. You know, um, my son came to stay a, a few weeks ago, and we said, "Shall we order a takeaway?" You know, so my wife wanted to call the takeaway on the phone. My son wanted to could just go online and order it from deliveroo or, or, or whatever um you know and they both work you get to the same result uh it might cost you a bit more for doing the self service interestingly enough mm. but that's what society is moving into uh you know and and the gap between our personal lives and our working lives is narrowing so we expect the same way that we operate yeah you know, the instant um, response kind of models that we get in our personal lives more and more today, we're expecting the same in a business-to-business relationship as well.
0: Yeah, Simon and I have talked about this before, and, you know, I'm a, a real believer that B2B follows B2C. Um, I think those two worlds are colliding more and more. I, I wonder, and again, this is sort of my from personal life experience, I think we're very happy to self-serve when we want to buy something. But where it's going wrong is that when we have a problem, there's no one to answer the phone. So actually from a, uh, and I use, you know, a relevant story for me is by my son's just finished his A-levels. He's meant to be going on holiday with his mates to Magaluf. That's another podcast in itself. Um, <laughs> uh, and he hasn't got his passport back and we cannot get hold of, you, you can't phone anyone. And so self. I, th- I think there's a real opportunity for an organisation to, To excel by having people available for when things, you know, when questions need to be asked and answered. And at the moment, we've gone, it seems to be we're moving in the B2C world into a very self serve environment. But, but across the board rather than just focusing on the areas where self-serve really is effective and, and where I think there's a huge opportunity for organisations to really stand out from the crowd by enabling people to engage better.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think we've got to understand that, um, you know, it's about the population and the people uh, and the demographic. Um, so I think that you, you're always going to have kind of a multiple ways to serve the customer or multiple ways that that customer will want to be served in general. So if you look at the demographic of general industry in the UK right now, then you know the age population still wants that pick the phone up and talk to somebody more often. But as the Gen, Gen Z, as I think it's titled, Gen generation comes through – Then there'll be a shift towards that acceptance of online and then the systems behind it will have to drive it to be more efficient. Um, So, you know, I think there's always going to be this kind of two, three kind of topics that cross over as time changes, you know, and the the clever bit is making sure that you can serve both effectively. Absolutely, Um, because it comes back to the value proposition you know one customer value is picking the phone up and talking to somebody and another customer value is going online and trying to find out the status of their order or whatever
0: yeah absolutely yeah it's
1: it's been a theme as you might imagine on a sales or marketing podcast you know a number of our guests will have said what does your customer want ask your customer ask your customer so you know if they want to phone you make sure they can get hold of you on the phone if they want to chat with you make sure they can chat you know and so i think it's about you know whatever whatever channels customers want customers want to use not the ones we want our customers to use yeah. that, that's that's yeah. the key the key not an easy thing to do sometimes
2: yeah and simon it's you know it's quite an interesting topic because we've used the word customer a lot in this conversation and i'm sure a lot of people do but you know it's even more granular than that because it's like who is the persona mm. not the customer but the person so uh, you know the, one customer could have 20 sites. one site could be in one country, one site could be another. In that site, there could be 20 people that we interface with oh, well I've, the purchasing manager has got a different driver to the efficiency manager than the and, and so you know we've got to, we've got to pay attention to the individual personas and the people's needs, not just um, we, we use the word customer and then think we've got an answer for the customer, but yeah. there might be three answers for that
1: customer. Well, in any, as we all know, any B2B buying decision, right? You're going to have multiple people involved and, and the engineering, head of engineering is, he or she's going to have a really different perspective to the, the guy in procurement or the, you know, the, the HRD or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's, I think it's understand that persona piece is, is really, really important. Well, Neil, thank you. We, we could. As we say, probably any of these questions could have been a podcast episode in their own. And so thank you very much for sharing all of your thoughts, ideas, insights, and, and wisdom. It's been absolutely fantastic and for all of our listeners to, to benefit from that. So thank you very much for, for being with us on The Insiders.
2: Thanks, Simon. Thanks, Richard.
0: The Insiders by Durham Lane. Subscribe today to never miss an episode.